Amen. Good morning. How are you? You warming up? A little bit? As is true with Southern California, if you don't like the weather, you kind of wait a minute. It changes. Be back in the 80s this week. I, I don't know. I'm glad, though. Proverbs 2. As we enter into March here, uh, we will complete our, our series through Proverbs this month. And what we did originally was just try and block out four categories in Proverbs uh, that we could look at in a timely fashion. And so we did some of the planning and finances ones up front, the beginning of the year as people are setting budgets and looking towards the year, just trying to you know, provide financial goals or whatever. And so we did those in January. We spent February on behaviors. Many of us get to the beginning of the year, and what we want to do is we want to change a behavior that we have from the year prior. That could be as small as we want to tweak things in our health or overcome an addiction. It could be anything, right? Small, large, whatever. So we looked at behaviors, but we kept reminding ourselves that really behaviors flow from the heart and that who we are, what we do, it really comes from much deeper inside of us than just correcting uh, the way we speak or the way we act or the things that we do. And so Proverbs continues to drive us back to our heart, and we'll see that again today. Now, just a little heads up. If you're with us, you're our guest today. Uh, Here's one thing I'd like to get to you. If you don't have our app yet, all the notes are in the app. There's going to be a few slides today. They may go faster than you can write down. So at a separate time, if you don't have that, you can ask me. You can ask one of the pastors or volunteers out front, pretty much everybody can direct you in that way. They're all on there, and I've asked, I've emailed uh, Pastor Matt and just asked him, would he also post those notes and those slides again on Realm, which is kind of our internal communication system. Now, today, as we pivot into March, we're coming out of this behavior section, we're coming out of this area reminding ourselves that behaviors flow out of the heart, and so as we look now to what the Bible, what wisdom in Proverbs says about relationships, this first message, I want it to be our relationship to God, that all of this flows out of our relationship to God. But the passage keeps pressing us back to our heart and our relationship to faith, and so it's really kind of one collective idea that will pour into the rest of our series. And so I was looking at some verses, one of my favorite simple verses of Jesus He says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, we've talked about this before. This is a verse that I go back to time and again. Here's what it says. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, when we hear that in the 21st century Western American church, a lot of times we hear this as, if you say you love Jesus, then you must do these things over here or not do these things, whatever that might be. But really what Jesus is saying here is much simpler. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Like the natural outpouring of loving Jesus is a transformed life. And again, I use this example often, but what makes me a better husband is loving Lisa better. It's not learning a new rule or a new, a new something, but it's loving her enough to want to be less selfless, more loving, more giving, right? And so love causes me to be a better husband to Lisa, just like loving Jesus causes me to be a better disciple of Jesus, follower of Jesus. And so in the same thing today, we're going to look at that idea that really as we press into this, all this flows, wisdom flows out of relationship to God. So main idea today, just kind of a starting point for us this morning, 
The key to a life marked by wisdom is the heart. A life deeply in love with God will result in a life of wisdom and faith. And so this relationship to God, this building of wisdom, this growing of faith, this transforming our heart, they're one central kind of cyclical central idea. And so that's where Proverbs 2 is going to take us this morning. So if you would, let's pray one more time. Let's pray that Jesus will speak and that our hearts will hear. So let's pray. Jesus, again, we pray you are the living God. You are the word of God that became flesh, as the gospel of John teaches us about you. That you, were, that you are the very words of God. And so we pray that you would lift up off the page and speak to us. Jesus, in fact, my prayer always is that I will fade into the background and that you will take center stage. That you will speak because we are your church. We need your words. We need your life, and so we ask you to speak. I pray that me and, and all of my, my brothers and sisters here, that we, would, that we would posture our hearts in a place of learning. That we would humble ourselves to hear your voice. And that as we hear that, it, we would allow that to transform us. Let us come in, lay ourselves down, hear your word, be transformed by you, love you more, leave here changed. So Jesus, I pray all these things in your name. Amen. So back in Proverbs chapter 2, kind of back near the beginning, it says this. It says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Now, if you're just joining us or you've missed this, we've said this several times, this is, a, this is a book, a collection of proverbs. Proverbs are truisms, pithy sayings that are true, based in wisdom. And this, this collection of them is called the Book of Proverbs, and the Book of Proverbs was put together by a man named Solomon, and he puts it together to give it to his son. And so it's written as a father would write to a son, wanting the best for the son. And so we can remind ourselves that just like the intended reader originally of these words, that we today too are intended to hear this as the words of God to his sons and daughters. That we are to hear this in a loving tone from a father to his children, from a father God who loves us and desires the best for us. And so this tone of my son keeps pouring through. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. And so I want you to see this is about a five verse long point. And I want you to see it in the beginning. I want you to hear it on the way through. And then we'll put it all together as the five verses come together. But it's what they call an if-then conditional clause. Now, that was just to prove that I went to school, paid attention at least once. And so you guys know, like my education dollars are hard at work, Right? And so he's going to lead with an if. He's going to say a bunch of stuff. He's going to get to a then. If this, then that. That's a conditional clause. Here's what Solomon is saying. And so I want you to just listen to some of the if. Here's the, here's the things, the if. If you do this, then we'll arrive at the then, and we'll put it all together. But he says, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, verse 2, making your ear attentive to wisdom, and inclining your heart to understanding. Now, again, we move from wisdom, learning, all the way to the heart. And he just, these two things are inseparable. So wisdom flows out of a posture 
and the heart. The Bible uses the heart roughly 760-some times. So the Bible keeps turning us back to our heart. doesn't say, okay, just more wisdom, more wisdom, but it says the thing that's going to get between you and you living wisely is going to be your heart. And so very simply... There's two ways to go about buying a car, right? You can either buy a car you can afford or you can buy a car you, you go into debt to purchase, right? And I know cars have gotten really expensive and most of us have a car payment. I'm not saying that's the right way to do things. I'm just saying that's often true. And again, as the old saying goes, if most of us jumped off a cliff, right, should we all, right? So again, just because most of us do it doesn't make it right. But here's the idea. There's, there's really two ways you can go about this. You can save for the car that you want, or you can go in debt and pay more for it than it's actually worth. Make sense? Wisdom says, here's your two options. But what causes you to not live wisely? The posture of your heart. My heart says I want it now. My heart says I shouldn't have to wait for it. My heart says, go get the shiny new car today. The thing between us and wisdom oftentimes is our heart. In fact, I would say always is our heart. And so as he's telling us, listen, I want you to listen, and then he points us to our heart, but then he calls us back to listening, here's a note for you. I think the heart directs our steps by making us pursue what we desire the most. If our heart is postured humbly before God, we will learn wisdom. So he's calling us to listen to his words, to, to hear and to give understanding, to treasure up this, this knowledge, if you will. And then he points us back to our heart, reminding us the thing between us and what we know to be right and us doing right tends to be our heart. And with this listening, I want you to hear this again, especially the younger you are, the more important this is. You can learn wisdom through other people rather than waiting to learn wisdom by making your own mistakes. Laughs the oldest people in the room, right? Yeah. Most of my wisdom comes from telling you, oh, I did that. That was really dumb. That hurt, right? But you can learn. You can learn from wise people. You can learn from Scripture. You can be taught. You can be a teachable person. You can gain wisdom by listening to the wise and godly around you rather than going on and plundering ahead and being foolish and making your own mistakes and then having to walk through the pain that you have caused yourself and then gain wisdom that way. Now, just hearing that out loud, it really should push us to say, okay, I want to learn through listening. I want to learn through hearing because none of us are jumping up now saying, I want to learn through pain, Right? I hope not. If you do, we have a bigger issue. That's probably for another day. But wisdom would lead us, allowing our heart to direct us if it is, obviously, if our heart is postured rightly. Verse 3. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures. Now, I, I, uh, I, I don't know many of us that go searching for hidden treasure. I know there's lots of fairy tales and fables and movies and things about this. And, and, and so we all have this understanding of, of people that will go at, at, at crazy lengths to get to this hidden treasure. But we do that in our lives too. In fact, the example used, by, uh, used for us just a few weeks back was teaching a young man to pursue wisdom as if she is a beautiful woman. 
right? As the, the, the way that we all have an image in our head, the way a young man pursues a beautiful woman, right, can end in silly and so oftentimes quite humorous things, right? But he is pursuing at all costs what he sees as valuable. And so we're, we're, we're told, okay, liken yourself, pursue wisdom as if it's a hidden treasure. Pursue it as if it is the best thing for you. Now, I want you to hear all this together as we get to verse 5. So let's go back to 1. Let's read all five verses together so we can hear the then. So verse 1, my son, if you receive, there's the if. If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if, here's your if, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then, here's the outcome, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Here's the then. Then you will, find, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. So what is all of this wisdom? What is all of this learning? What is all of this learning from the mistakes we make and from the mistakes of others, learning from those wise? What is it, what is it all circle back to? He says this, if you pursue wisdom, if you treasure God's commandments, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. So we have to ask ourselves, as we're looking back to Proverbs, this wisdom book written 3,000 years ago that remains to be true and wise today, we've got to ask this question, okay, so where does it all go? Where does it all land? So can someone just come to this? Can an atheist sit down and read Proverbs and at the end of it be wise in the sense of what the Bible is saying being wise is? And, and inevitably the answer must be no. That the outcome of that question, can, uh, can someone who does not want to honor God or does not love Jesus, could they pursue wisdom? Sure they could. But in its essence, wisdom leads us back to God. Proverbs 1.7, if there's a theme verse for all of Proverbs, it's this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So I want to tie together wisdom and faith. Here's your next slide. Wisdom is living how God designed us to live. Faith is trusting God to help us live that way. For the Christian, the two are inseparable. Wisdom without faith is trying to live God's way without acknowledging the one who created life. Wisdom and faith are inseparable. Here's why. Just consider the simple version of the gospel. The gospel in its simplest form is this, that there's a God who created us and loves us. There's a God who designed us and knows how we best are to be, how we are to best live. And he has designed us with that intention in mind. And then he set humanity in motion and told him, this, this is how you live. And really the short form of how that looks is just to glorify God. It's to live lives of worshipers, to live those lives that glorify God. But then humanity and selfishness have chosen to glorify themselves. And I know that we inherit this through millennia of history of sin, but then we jump on the bandwagon. We also, too, try and center our lives around ourselves and not around the, glory, the glorifying of God. And so there's a God who created us and loves us, designed us, and then we've decided that we're going to go other than the way we are designed to be. 
And so that shatters humanity. It leaves us under the curse of sin. It causes the world to, to take a turn it was never intended to be. And God, however, though we choose that God in his love and his mercy and his grace says, listen, I can't just let them go and let them, let them leave me, let them be separated from me forever. God says, I can't, I love them too much. Now, did he have any obligation to rescue a wayward humanity? I would say no. If we choose to go this way, we should, you know, we, we, have, we have definitely earned the penalty of being separate from God. But God in his abundance of love and generosity, God in all that he is says, listen, I'm going to now, I'm going to enter into their story. I'm going to enter into human history. I'm going to send my son to live and to come alongside them and show them the way. And so Jesus enters into human history. Jesus, who existed before the beginning of creation. Jesus, who is the word of God that becomes flesh. Jesus enters into our story. And Jesus lives in our world. And he lives this way of glorifying God completely. And he does it without fail. He does what only God could do. And he does it as a human being. And then Jesus trades himself for us. And just that image, and, and we're so close as we are just weeks now away from Good Friday and Easter. We'll be doing Good Friday here at 7 p.m. on Good Friday, which it's nice to do the Good Friday service on Good Friday. That was really a dumb sentence, wasn't it? Okay. So we'll be doing Good Friday here at 7 p.m. serving the city, as Pastor Matt was saying. And then Easter morning, we'll be back here. And that, that weekend of just remembering the suffering of Christ and, and the resurrection of Jesus and tying those two to the story and the narrative of our life and that image of Jesus suspended between heaven and earth, suspended between God and humanity on a cross is the image that just reminds me of that place as Jesus bridges the gap between a holy God and a sinful humanity. And as he gives himself to bridge that gap, he calls us back into the relationship we were designed for. Our response to Jesus, our response to the gospel is to place our faith and our trust in Jesus. And what that does, again, is begins to reshape our heart and orient us towards God. In other words, it's this. There's a God who created us, knows how we're supposed to live, but we broke that. And instead of that, Jesus came to restore that and point us back to our intended design. And he does that, and yes, we, we, we hear about heaven, and yes, we have our sins forgiven, and yes, we have redemption, and yes, he overcomes our, 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 our brokenness and, and the things that are wrong in our life. Over time, he begins to redeem and restore those things. But just in its simplest form, he brings us back to being able to live how we were created to live. Wisdom points us to that life but the problem that it gets in between us and living wisely is our heart. Because our heart is so selfish and broken and so dead inside. That Jesus comes and he, and he renews and he, he regenerates and he restarts our heart. As Ezekiel says, I'll, I'll take from you a heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I love that imagery of giving us a heart that can beat for God. And I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will cleanse you, and I'll pour my spirit out on you. And even way back in Ezekiel, long before Jesus came and fulfilled it, 
He says, and I will cleanse you. I'll put my spirit in you. I will cause you to walk in my ways and to be careful to obey my commands. I will cause that turn of your heart. I will give you a heartbeat for God. And so the gospel in its simplest form is that, that really Jesus came to enable us to turn back to the way we were created to live through him. So when we see wisdom, yes, can we, can we learn to save and, and do better financially? Can we learn to overcome behaviors and addictions and other things? Can we learn how to have a better relationship with our spouse, with our children, with the world around us, be better workers, be better planners? Of course we can. But in the end, it points us back to the way God designed us to be. And to live in wisdom without honoring the God who created us is believing in a way to live without believing in the creator who did it. And so the gospel just begins to reunite us with the way we were designed to be. Verse 5, or 6, excuse me. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. The Lord gives wisdom. Really what the Lord is doing is calling us back to the way we were created to be. That we would live lives that glorify Jesus, that love one another, that care for the poor, that put others in front of ourselves, that really delay gratification so that we can have it in its right time. And again, God didn't create us to be miserable. God didn't create us to be just to be one life of sacrifice. He created us to enjoy the world he placed us in but not to the place where all we do is indulge self and miss the idea that there's others around us and there's a way to live. So through this, God begins to give us wisdom and knowledge. Through that transformed heart of Jesus, he was a call us back to this. Let's start back at verse 6. It says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. So what is the product of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding? It says that God guards over us. Right? The, the outcome of us living wisely and gaining understanding and, and coming under God and living the way he has called us to live by allowing Jesus to transform our heart and call us back to him, the outcome of that is that God places, God places his hand over us and just guards us. And that doesn't mean nothing's ever going to go wrong. It just means that God enters into our story as well. And then not some, some random, ambiguous way, but that the Spirit in us unites us to God and that God becomes a part of our story. And even when hard times come, we have God there with us to walk us through it. That we still live in a world that is broken and centered on self, not centered on God. And, and, and that, but God is with us in there. And then in the midst of this story, God is right there. And whether, it goes, whether your life is tough or whether your life is being blessed, God is there. The blessing is there with you and in you. And God leads us through this. And God's promise is my hand is right here, right here with you. In the midst of this brokenness, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of this world, I am with you. So wisdom guards our life. Faith leads to wisdom and understanding, which in turn shields and guards our lives. Many see the outcome of wisdom as disconnected from faith. But Proverbs says you cannot separate the two. You can't separate wisdom and faith as God has given it to us. 
You can attempt to do one. In fact, you can attempt to have faith and not live wisely. And you can attempt to live wisely and not have faith, but the two must come together and connect. They must bring you back together because what it's calling us back to is how God created us to live. Verse 9, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. If you turn on the news today, and I, whatever channel it is you choose to listen to, whatever political persuasion you seem to adhere to, when we turn on the news, we all hear the same story. We hear about all the jacked up problems in our country. We hear about all the political solutions that have never worked. And how the next person, if all you do is vote right, is going to fix everything. Then why do you think it keeps staying broken? He says, because when wisdom and faith connect, when these two things come together, the outcome is not just to transform life, but he says this, then, right? There's some if-then conditional clause, right? There's conditions upon the outcome, right? If you save, then you will have enough, right? It's kind of like the, the promise of this truth. If you do this, then this. Here's the then. Another then, if you will. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity then you will begin to understand how to care for the world around you. Then you will be able to understand what right and wrong is. But it's not until then. And so we turn on the TV and we hear the pundits speak. And they continue to say, oftentimes, the same old thing that everybody's been saying for centuries. And yet the world continues to spiral and get worse and get worse. And really, the farther we get apart from, a, from a, a nation, really, of faith, the farther and farther we get from a nation of righteousness and justice and equity and peace. And we cry in the streets for equality and care, and we cry in the streets for the care for the orphan, and we, we cry and weep and mourn with those who lose children in senseless shootings. And then we turn back on the news and all the solutions are just the same thing over and over again. In fact, I th it's, like they, it's like they are teed up and ready to go waiting on the next event so they can say the same thing again. God says only when your life and your wisdom and your faith come and they meet in me, then you will understand. Then you will be just. Then you can be righteous. Verse 11. Let's go back to 10. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you. How many times have we heard Christianity described or, or following Jesus described as a set of rules? And I know in the last generation or so, we've kind of differentiated between religion and faith. And that's a little unfair because the Bible uses the word religion in a positive sense also. We've kind of turned that word into this, this perception, this, this meta-narrative of Christianity that there's a system of things that you have to do and there's a th bunch of things you cannot do. And if you get enough of the do's right and don't do enough of the don'ts enough or whatever, somehow you are like Jesus and if things go well, and if you do well enough and you white-knuckle it through this life and somehow succeed, you will eventually arrive before Jesus and he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant, and all these things. But the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, here's what it says. 
For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you. Again, what it says, the outcome produced of faith, the, the outcome of a life transformed by the gospel is that these things will begin to take root in your heart and whatever takes root in your heart will come out in your life. And so it says, remember, it keeps turning us back to our heart. Remember, it keeps turning us back to placing our trust in Jesus. It comes back to things that it sounds like we're not capable of doing because only Jesus can transform our heart. Only Jesus can displace that broken selfishness inside of our heart and begin to transform us and call us to living in a way that is very contrary to our sinful nature. It says, but then you will learn, then discretion will begin to watch over you, not you over it. And so the gospel will become this thing that is this driving force in your life, pressing you closer and closer into Jesus, falling deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. Wisdom is an orientation of your heart, bringing joy to your soul and causing a man or woman of God to live in a way we are created to live. There's so many examples. We've, used so, we've said this so many times before, but it's, it's like nobody decides they're going to drive or you know, they're going to race a vehicle on a track and then goes out and gets a work vehicle or a minivan or a whatever, right? That there is a design behind the things that we own, the things that we do. There's a, there's a design behind everything that we have and everything that we do. There there's a way that things are made and we understand this in every other facet in our of our life. And yet when it comes down to our life and when it comes down to our faith, we tr whenever we try and go our own direction and move away from the created way we are to be, and it just doesn't work, and over and over again we try and press down this selfish road, this road that leaves God out of our life. We keep bumping our heads and running into pain and running into shame, and all of a sudden we've just got to turn back and go, I think it, it, it's got to be my heart. It's got to be my heart just isn't in love with God. I'm just in love with me. I'm just in love with self. I'm just in love with pleasure. I'm just in love with this world, not the creator of this world. And wisdom works counter to that and presses us in deeper to God. Verse 12, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. So here's a, a list of things, this antithesis of what a godly life looks like or what a wise life would look like. So it says, delivering you, this, this wisdom delivers you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of righteousness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. It says the opposite of wisdom is this. It's really a bunch of examples of men or, or women who love wickedness. It doesn't take very long for us to engage in pop culture, to listen to music or watch a movie, and people are reveling in how evil and wicked they can be how violent they can be or how demeaning they can be or how degrading they can be or how perverse they can be. And it glor it's glorified. And our culture has lifted it up. And, and we could just name some of the icons of our culture right now that are just really kind of a sad example. But that's where we are. That's the opposite of the gospel. 
That's the opposite of wisdom. That's the opposite of living the way we are designed to be. And it says, and it just guards you from that. It removes you from that. He continues saying this, so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman. Now it was the evil man, now we're on to the forbidden woman from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go, who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. The Bible draws this stark contrast between life and death. And it's not life in the breathing, heartbeat, brain activity sense. It's life in the intended design sense. And then there's death. And it's not necessarily death in the ground death. It's death to everything while your heart still beats. It's, it's death to your soul. It's death to your life. It's death to your marriage. It's death to your family. It's just that death, that cancer that eats away at everything you have while you're still alive. And, and, and what, what Solomon is saying here, and, and again, you have to understand, this is a thousand years roughly before Jesus even entered into human history. The gospel hasn't changed. The story of Scripture, I know that sometimes Christians forget that the first two-thirds of the Bible still apply. But that the story is one larger, overarching, singular story that points us to Jesus. That inside, in, that, that that message of Jesus inside that message is the story that there's a God who loves us and that we have, we have broken the way we're designed to live and that we live inside that brokenness. But God in his grace and his mercy and his love and his benevolence has, has created a way back. And that if we will just come to the end of ourselves and humble ourselves and, and just lay down our heart before Jesus and just say, okay, listen, I've done it my way and it didn't go well. And Jesus, I just want to be humble. I just want to lay before you. I'm just going to ask you, will you change me? Will you bring me back to you that the gospel promises he will? That the gospel promises us that he meets us right there. That in that moment, he begins to transform how we are, how we respond to things, how we see life, because it flows from a heart that Jesus has already changed in us. That it causes us to walk in new ways. That it causes us to see sin as ugly, and it causes to see things just through a different lens. And it keeps pressing us back. And what Proverbs is writing about, what Solomon is really compiling for his son, is what that life looks like. That it looks like a life lived wisely. It doesn't have to be a life of wealth. It, it doesn't have to be any particular life, but a life of wisdom. A life that just says, listen, man, this life is intended to be enjoyed, but it's intended to be enjoyed under the context of glorifying God. And that anything else, though it may seem enjoyable, utterly ends in death. And this narrative of black and white, this life and death, these stark contrasts go from cover to cover in Scripture. And they remind us that things that often look like they're pleasurable result in death. And yet, worse... Death to our lives while we're still living. And so it keeps calling us back, calling us back to God. Verse 20, and we'll close with this. So you will walk in the way of good and keep to the paths of righteous, of righteousness, <clears throat> of the righteous, excuse me. So what is the outcome that we're looking for? And I would say this, and just in a, in a simple term, and this is something, again, now that we're going to go back from here, we're going to go out to our community groups and, 
And we're going we're gonna to unpack some of these messages. Here's what we're asking. How do we steward our heart wisely? Like, how do we steward? And I, I don't mean, <clears throat> I, I think you all know this, but it probably should be said anyhow. I don't mean our cardiovascular system, which I think you should steward well also. But how do we, dis, how do we steward well this thing that is the core of us? This thing that loves and sometimes loves all the wrong things. How do, we, how do we steward this thing that, as Calvin said 500 years ago, seems to be an idle factory, like spending all its time creating new things to love other than God? How do we steward this heart that God has given us? And, if you're, and listen, I just want to say that if, you have, if you're here and your life is given over to following Jesus, you need to hear the truth that Jesus has transformed your heart. That that takes place, that's a promise, that's something he does that we respond to. And if you're here, you're like, well, this, this is kind of all foreign to me. Here's what I would say. I'm not leaving you out, I'm not asking you to leave here and go do something that sounds impossible. Because I just tell you ahead of time, it's impossible. I'm saying that Jesus does all the heavy lifting, that Jesus does all the hard work. It's through him that our hearts are transformed. So how do we steward this? How do we continually apply the gospel day after day after day to our lives? And so I'm going to walk through three questions and a bunch of verses that go along with them just as some things that we can look to. And again, they're going to be faster than you could probably write down. You don't need to take pictures. We will give them to you. If you're here and you're our guest, you don't have access to our information stuff, just please see me. I'll make sure you get it. But the question number one, how do we incline our heart towards God? If you remember back in these first few verses, it talks about inclining our heart, causing our heart to lean towards God, if you will. So here's a couple things out of Proverbs. Next slide. The first one, trust in God. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. See also Proverbs 28. There's going to be a lot of secondary references Begin to trust in God and not just think we have all the right answers. And that doesn't mean if you're not a follower of Jesus and we are, and I'm a follower of Jesus, that means I have all the right answers. I'm saying me, that I don't have all the right answers. And I, my heart, I need to steward my heart by trusting in God and not leaning on my own understanding. That is something that we, we need to look to for the rest of our lives in Christ. That just because it sounds right to us, what scripture says something other does not make it right. Next one. Be teachable. Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. Here's the deal. Be teachable. Another way of saying that is be humble. No matter how old you are, this is not endemic to any age group. Because when we were young, when I was young, I thought I knew everything, right? I know none of you young people would ever feel like that, right? Your parents know nothing. Your parents were young once too. But then when we get older, we get really humble and pliable, right? Right? Because older folks have never been unyielding in their thoughts, right? So it's not up to any age group. Be teachable. No matter who you are, have a soft heart. Be humble. Be willing to listen. Wisdom comes sometimes from the strangest of voices. Next slide. Here's a second question for you. How do we measure where our heart is? How do we, it's really hard to take a metaphor. It's not even a real, actual, physical heart, right? It's really hard to take a, a, a metaphor and go, okay, now, how do we gauge this? On a scale of one to 10, where are we? Like, how, where are we supposed to go? How will we know we're getting better? So how do we know where our heart is? Next slide. 
How do we measure that? Excuse me. Speech as an indicator of your heart. We went through speech three weeks ago, I think it was. With perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord, right? A bad, Jesus says this, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Speech is often a great indicator of where our heart truly is. You can put on a pretty good mask, you can live outside the four walls of your own home in such a way that people think probably pretty good things about you. But what will betray you every time are the words that fall out of your mouth. Next slide. Behavior. Proverbs 5 says, why should you be intoxicated by some with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The things that you naturally are prone to do, the things that you see in your life are an outcome of your heart. Whatever that issue is, it's an overflow of your heart. Speech is an indicator. Behaviors are an indicator. How do we measure and gauge where our heart is? We look at the things that our heart produces. We look at our speech. We look at our lives. We look at our actions or behaviors. Next slide. Distaste for what God dislikes. That's just a positive indicator. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate Proverbs, or Solomon writes in Proverbs. I want to give a caution here. Hating evil... Notice what else it includes, pride and arrogance, is not telling other people how evil and wrong they are. Right? Like humility is our starting point. But disliking evil is an indicator that our, God is on tra- that our heart is on track with God. Not disliking people, but a hatred of evil. When when someone is hurting, do you hurt with them? When there is an injustice, do you hate the injustice? Do you want to find a way to love the unjust, ungodly, and evil maybe people so that you can solve the problem, but just not liking the evil? There's a difference. That's why it throws in pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate. When you begin to see things God's way and you begin to dislike evil things, guard your speech in the way you speak about them. Next slide. How do we change our heart? Or how do we grow in this? How do we mature in this? Next slide. God's word, the gospel. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you'll be found a liar. God's words, God's words change our heart. God's words grow our faith. And that's, that's, reading his word, being in a community group, coming to church, being a regular part of where his word is open and proclaimed. Next slide. Community, gospel with others. Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man or one woman sharpens another. I will tell you this. We, you, we talk about community groups all the time, and really, deep at the heart of who we are as a leadership, we believe that you can't really do church without doing small group, doing community group. We believe so deeply that we give most of the good stuff comes out in community group, not here. Maybe that's because of me, though. I'm not sure. Anyhow, so most of the good, all the, the application, the stuff that we can talk about comes out in a small group. If you're not in a community group, you're missing what the Bible calls us to for maturity and growth. You're not getting it from the way God has said we can do it. I'll close. I think there's one verse left. Matthew says this. Jesus says this in Matthew. 
Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. And so you too and I will be known for our hearts. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we thank you that you have given us wisdom. And not only have you given us wisdom and pointed to our selfishness and our brokenness and our need for healing, our need for redemption, but then you came and did everything necessary to cover the gap the deep chasm divide between us and our broken and sinful nature and a holy and perfect God. You are God become flesh. You're also God, Jesus, on a cross. You were the one who suffered that I might have life, that you, you, were, you were penalized that we might be forgiven. Jesus, let that rest on us that you suffered that we might be healed, that you gave that we might receive, and that you did so beginning with our heart, that you soften our heart and you call us towards you. You call us to fall in love with you and tell us that if we love you, we will obey. That really it's not about the obedience or the outward, it's about the inward. It's about our heart falling deeper and deeper in love with you. I know we have a lot of folks here in a lot of different stages of life, God, and I just pray that wherever we are, wherever this resonates with us, whether we've never made that first-time decision of faith or whether we've been walking with Jesus for decades and decades, that we would know we all meet at the same place with the bending of our will, the bowing of our heart, it's humility, and it's asking you to change our lives. Amen.